Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Friday, June 2nd, 2023, about three days before the big, big event on Monday with Apple WWDC. Uh, today's podcast is completely focused on the Apple WWW, ugh, too many W's, WWDC pregame. Uh, joining me for today's oh, podcast are John Quain, who writes for the New York Times, Smart Cities, and Tom's Guide. Stuart Walpin, who scribes for po- uh, Popular Mechanics, AAR- AARP, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other fine publications. Rob Pegarero, who writes about tech developments at PC Mag, Fast Company, and other wonderful publications. And for the first time, we've got Hartley Charlton, who is the senior editor for MacRumors.com. Couldn't think of a better person to have on the podcast. How are each of you doing today? Very right. good. Yeah. Good. So, uh, Hartley, since you're the kind of the new kid on the block for my part, podcast, and I appreciate you're calling in, you're not in a pub somewhere uh, in London, which you probably typically would be at, at this time. Uh, talk to a little about your background. Um, you know, we, all of us know who MacRumors.com is. You know, I go to that, you go to your site all the time for a lot of different reasons. But just give us your background and what MacRumors is all about. So uh, MacRumors has been around for over 20 years at this point yeah. um, and uh, covers in uh, granular detail uh, everything that is possibly to do with Apple, um, both uh, from the perspective of news um, and verified sort of actual breaking news um, right through obviously it's in the name uh, to rumors and we assemble and aggregate a lot of those reports so we try to give you a snapshot of exactly what apple is doing uh, behind the scenes um, personally i i joined Matt rumors nearly four years ago now um, and yeah i contribute to uh, quite a lot that the website does so the main thing is news coverage that's the bread and butter really that's what uh, gets me up in the morning is the news coverage but we mm. also uh, have the Mac Rumors show podcast which is something that we've enjoyed growing over the last few years but, but there's all sorts of content that we host we host things like um, a buyer's guide to help people uh, make buying decisions about about um, uh, with relation to what is about to come out so whether it's a good time to buy or not um, so we're just sort of a repository uh, for um information to do with apple no it's, it's a great resource it's a great resource and uh i am sure you're going to be flying with information on monday afternoon after the uh the big reveal happens so let me bring up some slides so we, we kind of organize a dialogue here and i'll and, you know harley let me start with you you know why is this regardless of what they reveal and a lot of stuff has actually you know come to light over the last couple of days and we'll, we'll certainly get into that but let's talk about you know why why it's so important for the rest of the industry uh, in terms of this kind of focus on AR, VR and what Apple's going to do. And by the way, there's going to be a lot more than AR, VR. Hartley and I were chatting about this before. I think there's a temptation to focus purely on these on, on the AR, VR component, but there's going to be a lot of other stuff, new MacBooks, presumably, and obviously changes to the operating systems. But from your perspective, why is it so important in context of the rest of the industry from your, from your uh, vantage point? 
Well, I think there's multiple perspectives to this. The The first point is that despite the hysteria around AR and VR, um, which I think possibly started maybe five to seven years ago, um, it hasn't really taken off, at least not in terms of the mainstream. And while these devices have been iterated on by uh, companies like Facebook, now Meta, um, they are not something that is in every home. They're not perceived to be a, a must-have device. Um, and when you look at other markets that Apple has moved into, things like smartwatches, mm. Apple has moved in and dominated those markets um, and actually made smartwatches a viable market. The same goes with um, tablets. The same goes, of course, most infamously with smartphones. So it would suggest that maybe Apple can do it again and it can revitalize um, what is otherwise a little bit of a disappointing and stagnant market. Right. Um, the other reason, of course, is that Apple does have a habit of um, if not leading the, with the direction of the industry, it certainly sort of sets the tone for um, where other companies need to uh, meet a certain bar. And so if Apple is launching a whole new ecosystem, a whole new platform, um, that's really going to set a benchmark for the rest of the industry and where things move technologically, especially if Apple is viewing this as um, a platform that could one day replace something as ubiquitous as the iPhone. Stuart, your perspective? I agree with Hartley somewhat in that if anybody can can awaken the moribund ARVI market, it can certainly be Apple. But I, a couple of things: one, the rumored prices, and Hartley can can uh, check me on this, is that the rumored price of of the Apple goggles will be three thousand dollars, which is obviously yeah. way higher than the Sony or anybody else on the market, at least in the consumer marketplace. Um, and that says two things to me. One, I think that Apple recognizes what I've been saying for a long time, is that consumers throughout consumer electronics history just don't want to put things over their eyes. And I think that is the primary reason that AR and VR has not been a raging success, because the thing that people fear the most amongst them, you know, for themselves is being blind and putting those goggles on blinds people. And I think that is a huge hurdle for any AR, VR thing to overcome. The second thing is $3,000 is an industrial price, I think. And I think that Apple recognizes that where AR VR is really taking a hold is in the industrial training um, markets and, um, and uh, scientific markets and commercial markets. So $3,000 for companies to take this on for training purposes, for research purposes, for educational purposes, makes perfect sense. But $3,000 for a consumer device, I think they know better that $3,000 is, they'll get the early adopters, it will get a lot of publicity, and will probably help the industry that way. But I don't think that Apple, at least initially, sees this as a consumer product. Yep, and uh, to invoke my uh, Broadway musical theater history, when you talk about price points, defying gravity comes to mind uh and we'll see, you know if any company can pull that off uh they, they can do it but you're right they're gonna they're gonna have some challenges if the price points are at that level uh john your perspective i, I mean it's interesting if they if they uh launch what they're rumored to be launching i mean the main problem is the technology the hardware is not available yet um but uh, when it becomes available and possible then maybe that will help to take off i i don't dismiss it i think people will wear glasses despite the google glass blank i won't mention the word effect if everybody remembers that i remember ces getting on a plane and somebody said here comes another person wearing a google you know blank 
Um, but I think attitudes change about some of these issues. So that issue about privacy and people walking around with video cameras on their head, I think that might be gone because pretty much everybody has a video camera everywhere, planes, cars, streets. So it might be the right time to go for this kind of a product. But I think, unfortunately, the hardware, the basic fundamental technology that you need to make this happen, which would be a pair of light glasses like Stuart's wearing or something even lighter or, or Hartley's something even smaller, that technology doesn't exist yet. And right. every time we test it, and we've tested it for what was Sony's first Descent game? What was that, 1990-something? Um, wow. You know, it's still not there yet. So it will get there. I think it will. But probably... Monday's not the day it's going to arrive. So, Rob, I, I love, enjoy putting you on the spot because you're such a good sport <laughs> about it. But do, do you think privately, to really go to the heart of my question here or the question that's on the screen here, do you think that the industry, the non-Apple part of the industry, the other tech um, uh, behemoths, do you think they're kind of privately rooting for Apple to actually be successful so it, it, it becomes a market? You know, because when you look at the PC space, if I'm a Dell or a Lenovo or an HP and you're looking at the market, which is going to be relatively flat. And even though all of those companies don't really have a specific um, consumer AR VR play yet. I mean, they've dabbled. I, we're not even getting well, that's into the thing. Where's the Dell AR VR headset? Where's the HP one? Where's the, I, but Lenovo my, has one, although they don't really it's such a small part of their pitch. Yeah, but, 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 but the point I'm making and this is what I want you to comment on. You flash back to 2007 when Apple announced the iPhone. It was unanimously, pretty unanimous, uh, you know, uh, uh, really decried yeah. as a, a gimmick, a toy. You know, there's lots of quotes you can pull from the internet on the, kind of the kind of the, the the lowballing of the opportunity. And of course, smartphones turned into a big big deal with Apple leading the charge, followed by Google. But do you think they're privately rooting for them to be successful? Because if it becomes a thing. Then all of a sudden now, okay, there's a market there and maybe there's uh, you know, maybe there's some product activity that they kind of leverage. Understand where I'm coming from? I could see that thinking happening, but I would say that's a dumb way to think. I mean, Apple did popularize smartwatches, but that hasn't exactly opened the way for uh, a ton of, you know, Android-based smartwatches to ship. You know, there are, you know, lesser watches out there, but I don't think that's a market where Apple entering it open doors that weren't already there to be opened. Right. Uh, you know, I, I am a skeptic of this. The pricing on this it makes me think of, I'll show me it's the 20th anniversary Mac or the power Mac cube, really impressive pieces of design, but no one wanted to buy them. And, and that was just, you know, it was a type of product. People knew what it was and what they would use it for. Right. Uh, and I, I do agree. I think the case is better for augmented reality. But in the meantime, we already have devices that do it. Hold up your phone's camera to the world and, you know, let it overlay information on the screen on top of what the camera shows you. That's something we've been able to do for the past like 15 years. Mm. So we don't need to strap a computer to our heads to do that. Certainly, it certainly doesn't make me want to spend 3000 or even $1,500 if, if it's the Apple selectively leaking a price twice the actual intended suggested <laughs> retail. Uh, $1,500 is still a lot. And, no, and, and yeah. I, I get that, but you know, until we see what the price points are, I mean, even if they're, even if it's fifteen hundred bucks to your point versus three thousand, that's a high price point, and I get it. And by the way, 
for some of these usage models to be effective, you're going to need a couple of these things. So you're talking about doubling the price of whatever that MSRP is. But, Mark, you know, one, one other point, no, Mark. Sir. Um, Sony, obviously, earlier this year released their second VR goggles for the PlayStation. And that has not met with overwhelming success either. And mm -hmm. in game player, they had to cut back production reportedly about 20% because they simply were not selling as briskly as they thought they might. If game players aren't adopting VR goggles for the most popular <laughs> gaming platform there is, I, I, I just don't see the hope for the rest of the industry, at least on the, on the consumer side. Well, I'm, I'm going to tee this up for Hartley because I think it's all going to be about differentiation. It's going to be about usage models. It's going to be, I think it's going to be a, uh, the ecosystem and apps. But, you know, Hartley, let's talk a little bit about how, how you know, if you had to look into your crystal ball before the, um, the event on Monday, how do you think they're going to differentiate themselves? I think there's there's a lot of ways in which it will differentiate itself. Um, hardware will be a major one, but I think there's two uh, slightly more significant ones in terms of where this device will be positioned in the wider market. The first is the actual design, because this is this should be, if the rumors are to be believed, a major departure from what has been expected from equivalent headsets to date. I mean, it should be, uh, we had a report just this week that it will be the most um, uh, physically complicated device for, that Apple has ever had to manufacture, mm -hmm. um, just because it is so um, thin and the tolerances um, are so narrow because they have had to try and make something that is 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 ultimately comfortable and surprisingly thin. And of course, this is partially the controversy around moving the battery to an external battery pack. So the design itself should be unlike anything else that is currently on the market in this space. And also, of course, Apple is known for its uh, good design. And I don't know if you've seen uh, Meta's most recently announced headset yesterday, but it is not a thing of beauty. No, Whereas I, Apple's, yes. <laughs> um, Apple's is certainly should be at least uh, rather a lot better looking. Right. And the other point is the ecosystem advantage. For a lot of people, um, I would count myself included, that are so deeply entrenched in the Apple ecosystem, I just couldn't uh, buy a Meta headset. I've tried them, but the ecosystem is just too strong. And if you were telling me that I can get uh, my iMessages on there, I can get synced apps through iCloud that I enjoy using on other platforms. Um, I can use iCloud, I can use FaceTime, I can use all of these features. Suddenly that's an appealing package because it fits in in the same way that an iPad fits in. An iPad isn't essential. It certainly isn't essential if you have a Mac and an iPhone. Those are arguably the only essentials. But mm -hmm. there is room for an extra device like an Apple Watch, like an iPad, that you still want to buy because of that ecosystem advantage. And that is just something that um, Meta and other competitors just simply can't offer at this stage. So, John, let me give you a swing at that uh, this question. I mean, how do you think they're going to differentiate themselves, if you had to guess? Well, if they can, if, if there's a lighter or smaller, you know, <laughs> more portable version, definitely um, that would help. I, you know, I just don't see how the technology is available yet. You know, for all those reasons that we stated before about people not wanting to wear something on their face, et cetera. It is, a, it is a, there are compelling use cases. You know, the um, AR version of that, it, I think is a pretty compelling use case that I've tested them for years, but they all involved external battery packs too. And you just feel kind of dorky walking around with them, which you don't with a smartphone, you know? And I think we know what we want here. I think that the trouble is the technology companies are not, 
able to deliver yet. With the smartphone, for example, we knew what we wanted. We talked about it for years about information at your fingertips. Um, you know, Bill Gates talked about it. Everybody knew about it. They all read Snow Crash. And that's kind of what we're after. We're after that Snow Crash thing again. And that's what people are talking about. First one to deliver it wins, you know, and I don't know whether Apple can do that or not. If they can, that would be astounding. It would be really impressive. But um, so far, nobody's really got the tech for it yet. But, you know, Stuart, something just came to mind. And I agree with everything Hartley said in terms of, you know, they are Apple is the kind of go to company when it comes to product design. And by the way, the lever that they have, the few other companies, it's not that, that other companies can't find great product designers, when you kind of have the brand that Apple has, you can throw a lot of money at the bomb. And because, you know, good design sometimes requires more costly materials. And if you're a company that lives just on the price point edge, it's really tough sometimes to make that investment. But the, the, if there is a skeptical part of me is that, you know, I'm an AirPod Max guy, love them since they've come out. You know, the quality, the, the audio quality, I think, is, I think they're the best headphones on the, over the ear headphones on the market, yet they are very heavy. I never take them on the road. I don't take them when I'm flying. I just, you know, throw my Bose 700s in, in the bag. And, you know, I, you wonder if there's a whole class of customers Apple missed with the AirPod Maxes because they're simply too heavy, you know? So they're not perfect sometimes. Uh, so, Stuart, your take. Well, the most important aspect of any consumer electronics product is convenience. Convenience trumps quality, it trumps price, it trumps everything. So mm. if Apple can make these easy to use, easy to connect, easy to, to play with, then they've conquered half the battle because convenience always trumps every other aspect of a new consumer electronics. You make something easier for the consumer to use. But the problem with AR and VR is there's, there's no benchmark. There's no foundation for how to make something easier that hasn't been adopted in the mainstream to begin with. So it's not necessarily the product that's the problem. It's the whole idea of VR in the consumer mainstream consumer mindset. There simply hasn't been the ready player one effect that everybody had anticipated that people would rush to be able to put themselves into a virtual world. Apparently, that's just not something the mainstream world, which has had multiple attempts to do over the years with a variety of number of products from different manufacturers. Now, some of that may be convenience. Again, you have to put something on your eyes. You have to have a clear room so you can move around in. You might have somebody else that you need to play with who also has to buy one of these things. There's some extra feeling things. So the, the creating a convenient VR world simply hasn't happened. And from the rumors that I've seen of this particular bike, they look like ski goggles. So this is not something that you're going to wear outside, you know, unless on the slopes, but then you can go virtual skiing. So I, I don't see it yet how they've solved the problems that already exist. And that is, one, the convenience side, and, and that external battery pack is going to be part of that. And two, convincing people that this is something that they want to do to begin with. And right. and I, and they managed to do that with the iPhone. A lot of people said, oh, nobody's going to want to carry around such an expensive device. They did it with the iPad. It's so funny to go back to 2010 and read the reviews of the original iPad. They were scathing in, in, in their criticism. Um the watch was an easier sell, much easier. I was on the subway yesterday, and five people immediately standing around me all were wearing 
Apple watches. But VR, it just, it's not taking hold in the consumer context. This is something that is something they want to do. But Rob, I I, want to pull Rob into this for a second. Don't you really think Apple knows all of this? And don't you think, and I'm not trying to defend them, but they have taken a long time to get to, to get to Monday. And uh, I, I guess my question is they know unless they're, you know, something's happened uh, to the, the way I think they typically approach products. If they can't show on Monday, two or three, I don't think it's five or six. I think it's one, two or three, two or three, let's call it usage models that, that a mainstream person, not someone who's an enterprise customer who wants to do remote uh, surgical techniques or inventory management or some of the stuff that you hear about that AR and VR comes in handy with the people that, by the way, enterprise will pay that kind of premium to get that kind of productivity. But don't you think you're going to come up with a, a, an application for your mom? Of, of, assuming no, no, definitely not my mom. mom. Let me finish the question. <laughs> uh, Rob Pegarero, that you are, you're going to buy a cup, a, a pair of these, one for you, one for your mom, wherever she is, so you can have virtual <laughs> no, 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 no. Or you're not that kind of guy. <laughs> uh, you know, mom likes her iPad. Just replaced last year. You know, Apple does a lot of things right, but they're not immune from being a big, dumb tech company. If they were going to be confident <laughs> all the time, why would they have let the MacBook Air go so many years without an update? Why has the Mac Pro gathered so many mothballs? Why did I have to wait years to get a Mac Mini that was actually current? So, yeah, they can screw up just like anybody else. Uh, you know, personally, I can't rule out. They rehearse the heck out of demos, but I've seen Apple screw up demos, too. This could all, the demo could wind up being like that scene in HBO Silicon Valley for all we know. <laughs> I mean, hopefully not with actual like fire, but <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm in a more of a curmudgeonly state of mind about this because yeah, the consumer case, I mean, have, we all have regular people, customers who write to us saying, what should I get? Right. How many questions have we collectively gotten about what VR air headset should I buy? For me, the number zero. No. Uh, can I add, add one thing here, Mark? Go ahead, John, John. To this slide. So I think about we're thinking about this the wrong way. So um, I look at this product, uh, the VR, AR, the glasses, what, you know, visual product as not something that's for gaming or something that's going to replace these things. I mean, it's already out in industry. It's been out there for years and et cetera. It's to replace the smartphone. That's the end game here. The whole point is we're done with these things. If I see another one of these things, I'm, you know, who cares? Motorola had an event. Nobody go, you know, nobody really cares anymore about that. There's no way to differentiate that product. You can't come up with a sharper screen or better camera or faster operating system or the next Snapdragon 25 or whatever it's going to be. The end game is something that you have that you can quickly look at, that you can talk on, that you can control with your voice, and it does all the things the smartphone does, and we get rid of the smartphone. That seems to me the end game. That's the kind of product they need to come up with. How many iterations it takes to get there will be interesting, but I think that's sort of, then it's mainstream, and then everybody in the subway will be wearing those next to Stuart instead of their eye watches. 
<laughs> we we, we got to hit the next question, but I'm still <laughs> shocked that there were five people with uh, Apple Watches on the New York City subway system. Well, which lot was it like? No, it wasn't five. that there were five people on the subway. I, said, I was surrounded by them. <laughs> no, my point is, is that would you bring an expensive smartphone, smartwatch? Was the on train the on the Upper West Side? Or I, uh, I ride the subways <laughs> all the time. They're fine. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So here's one question I do want to get into, and then we, I want to address the, the, the what other stuff that Apple may announce from a software or will announce from a software standpoint. But there are lots of stories over the last uh, several weeks about um, internal executive misalignment. There's, there's a very sophisticated way. You can tell that I worked in corporate America by using that kind of phrase. <laughs> on on, uh, on really the, uh, these AR, VR products that Apple may announce. And, I don't know whether that's people twisting information. You know, Apple's, you know, pretty good at keeping the lid shut, so to speak, on things like that. But, you know, ha having worked for, you know, 20 years, uh, 20, 23 years for big, you know, Fortune 500 companies, you know, when you have different teams within the company misaligned or not quite sure that this thing is ready for prime time, and the, if the rumors are true, it looks like uh, Tim Cook has really been spending much of his um, his fodder on really, you know, getting this thing out the door. And there's been some other teams that are, hey, well, maybe we're not ready to go yet, either from a hardware standpoint or from a software standpoint. So, Harley, we chatted about that when we spoke a few weeks ago. Do you think that that's a big deal or you think that's, you know, you think that's a, a non-issue from your perspective? Uh, I think it it both it has the both has the capacity to be a big issue and not be. But that depends on how the headset is received and how it is iterated on. Um, because ultimately, especially with a, a device like this, which is ultimately moving into an untested market, it's going to need to move quickly in the right direction. Even a device like the Apple Watch, when it was conceived and pitched, um, and was pitched, it is it is it differed so much from how it how it started. It, it looks the same, but. The whole idea of what Apple imagined it would be used for is completely transformed from yes. something that they thought would be that. communication and apps to ultimately just fitness. Um, and that process needs to happen again, but tenfold. Mm. So if Apple can be agile enough um, and it can it can move with that and it has a clearer sense of direction of where it's going and the milestones it's able to reach, for example, if they know that they are going to be able to provide a, uh, a lower cost headset in less than two years um, and therefore have a pro model and a non-pro model in a relatively short space of time by which time they will have iterated on this ecosystem and they know exactly what they're doing, I don't think it will be a problem. Mm -hmm. However, if the ecosystem uh, doesn't quite pan out as they expect, um, if they encounter technical difficulties with it simply on the basis of manufacturing, they can't get enough of the Sony OLED, uh, micro OLED displays that they need. There's a lot of capacity for chaos here. And this, uh, these reports about this misalignment, I could certainly see it also getting worse. So I think it could go either way. Rob, your, your take? I, I can't lie. I have not paid so much attention to that because have you looked at Twitter? <laughs> the executive <laughs> drama there really sucks up my attention. I don't know. There's always a lot of sort of, I, I compare it to Kremlinology in the 1980s. Who is standing next to Leonid Brezhnev on top of Lenin's tomb during the May Day Parade? What does that mean? What's going on in the Soviet Union? And you can only go so far with that. Apple's an extremely large organization with lots of moving pieces that we do not see. Um, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm more inclined. I think it is correct that 
you know, assuming Apple is not just going to put one entry into a category and then be like, nah, forget it, we're done. When did they last do that? So they will iterate that they may come out with something. They may say this, this is just for engineers, developers. You're not going to see it in an Apple store at all. And then I'd be surprised at that. I'd be surprised if that would happen. I mean, I, I certainly will be interested to see how the how and where it might show up in the Apple Store five minutes walk that way. So so, 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 John, since you you know you covered cars for a long time, and you know automobile companies are big big organizations, and I am sure you have covered car new cars from time to time that have been controversial or, you know, either um, from a technology standpoint, you know, style standpoint. What's your, I mean, do you have any experiences from your side about executive misalignment in the auto space that may be kind of a parallel to what may be happening, uh, you know, based on these rumors or am I off, if I'm, I'm, am I off base? No, I mean, there is always this sort of, there's also a misalignment between like that vision thing, you know, the, the issue that got Steve Jobs fired in the first place too was in the stock price, right? How long are you willing to hold on to that vision and really commit to it compared to uh, we're going too far down this road on the stock price and issues and we have to change horses? Mm-hmm. And, you know, my Ford did that with uh, with Shield, you know, with with an executive there that I thought had the right vision and is no longer there. <laughs> no longer there. Um, and I think Ford's made some terrible mistakes since then. You know, I think they just made another one in on charging. So uh, is Apple in that sort of conundrum where they're not going to stick with the white person they need to stick with, even though it's going to take a long time? You know, I think of people like Tony Fidel and people like that who came into that company and brought things, you know, the iPod and then the, you know, all these other visions that, you know, products that he brought in really. Um, So, yeah, are they too quick to change people? Maybe that may be an issue. I don't know. But it's certainly something to consider. Well, just to close on this topic, Stuart, I mean, when again, you know, since, you know, I live less than 10 minutes from Apple, this spaceship, <laughs> and since there's actually, um, I won't say his name because he'll probably get in trouble, but there are people who actually live in my building uh, in San Jose that work for Apple. And Apple's notoriously has fiefdoms within the company. I mean, and they, and they, and this is a Steve Jobs, a relic of Steve Jobs. I mean, you've got a lot, not other groups know about what other, other things are going on. That's very, that's a very famous um, uh, operating principle that Steve uh, operated under that. Hey, if you don't need to know this, you don't have to know it, you know, and, uh, and they were able to maintain security, um, internal security. But do you think this uh, missile, these misalignment rumors are a true and do they matter or not? I think we're missing a bigger picture here and focusing on the AR VR aspect in, uh, in terms of this management misalignment in this uh, business, I think is putting the cart before the horse. Um, Apple has two major concerns for the long term, short term and long term. One of them is diversifying their supply chain and their manufacturing. That has so much more precedent or um, importance to Apple than whether or not the VR goggles actually make a splash in the marketplace. I think the VR, it, it's a nice little side project, quite frankly. its They can't believe this is going to sell anywhere in the 100 million device mark or anything like that. Um, but moving their manufacturing out of the reliance that they have on China to India, to Vietnam, I think is a far bigger thing, especially given 
uh, Tim Cook's um, expertise in supply chain. He's been spending a lot of time in India, and they are going much faster in diversifying their manufacturing. They were only supposed to reach about 5% of iPhone manufacturing in India by, by spring of 2023, and they're already up to 7%. So they're really anxious to move as much manufacturing out of China as possible. The second thing on a longer term thing is Tim Cook's successor. He's not getting any younger. And so I think a lot of this management misalignment may very well be a repositioning for eventual um, lowering of his overall responsibility or finding his successor at some point, the same way that that was working when Steve Jobs found out he was ill and needed to groom somebody to take over. The rumors of Tim Cook taking over from Steve Jobs were prevalent for a very long time before, before Steve Jobs passed away. Way. So I think the movement of the Reliance moving thing, there was a big announcement that Apple is going to start doing some fab in the U.S. for some of their some of their chips. The movement in, in India and, 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 and diversifying that supply chain and Tim Cook's successor, I think, are all far more important things and maybe what's behind some of these rumors. Well, we're, we're going to see more about this. We'll see. It's going to be interesting to play the, this podcast back six months from this to see where you guys came in from a prognostication standpoint. But, the worst. But, but let's hit the next topic, the last topic here. We'll spend the next five or six minutes on the, the whole software component to this. I mean, WWDC is really a software event. Um, sometimes in the past, but it's been the exception, not the rule. You'd see hardware rolled out. And, but let's stay away from ARVR for a second and talk about, you know, what changes we, we will probably see with Mac OS, iOS, iPad OS, watch OS, their whole operating system suite. And what's interesting, Hartley, and I want to get, pull you into this is that every time they announce a new release of an operating system, they'll throw up that home run slide where, you know, it looks like it's a very, very busy slide with maybe 60 or 70 new features that are being announced. And then they'll have a bullet somewhere. Well, guess what? We're also announcing 300 other features, <laughs> which is always fascinating to me. It would be interesting to understand what's their process for a feature making that slide. But at a high level, what do you expect in the uh, on, on the OS software side? Well, to a large extent, a lot of these things will be iterative. They always are, um, particularly mm -hmm. with macOS, because it's just such a mature platform at this point. macOS just tends to gain the features that iOS and iPadOS gain. And of course, iPadOS is just a version of iOS. So uh, the, the OS that I am most interested in this year is watchOS, because this is purportedly a complete uh, reimagining of how yeah. watchOS should function, and seemingly an admission that an app store and apps on the Apple Watch doesn't really work um, and it hasn't really taken off in the way that Apple expected. Mm -hmm. So it's the idea that you change around even what the buttons do on the watch and that you put glanceable information um, in the form of widgets or complications or whatever you want to call them at the forefront um, of the, the whole OS, which to me makes an awful lot more sense. But it's because the, the reimagining of the UI is seemingly so total. Um, it's, it's rare you see that uh, come along um, at a WWDC, I think. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think that the rumors about watchOS and the makeover, and I think that complements the comment you made that I think their vi their original vision of the Apple Watch has changed, um, successfully changed, I think, in terms of it certainly hasn't hurt them from a sales standpoint. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how they kind of fine-tune that and re-optimize, you know, why people want to use a smartwatch. 
Um, Stuart, your perspective on what you might what, what we might see here? Well, I agree with Harley on the iterative nature of this. I mean, as John has been saying all along, that there's so little that can actually be major uh, changes in any of these operating systems other than perhaps watch OS. But what I'm looking for is the continued integration of the portable OSs with the desktop OSs. They've already started to do this, obviously, on a, on a, on a great deal of fronts. And I think that we're just going to continue to see these operating systems on the mobile side and the desktop side become far more entwined um, as time goes along. And so what I'm looking for on next week is to see how many more advancements Apple is going to make in, 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 in making those two operating environments much more seamless. But, but you know, John, and we've talked about this on the podcast before over the last uh, year or so, is that, you know, there has been ongoing movements by Apple to take iPad OS and Mac OS and kind of, you know, stuff it together and make um, an iPad a really good um, content creation, um, not just a consumption tool, but a creation tool uh, versus a typical laptop or a typical desktop. Um, and, uh, and without going into all the details, you could rattle off probably 10 or 15 things they've done. Yet it's still not the go-to device yet. I'm talking about tablets for people who want to create a, create a presentation, do right. video editing. That's not to say you can't do those things, but in terms of kind of that you know, a touch interface versus a mouse space interface, you know, it's, it's two different animals. And then there's also the business consequences that if they were able to convince users that, Hey, listen, you really don't need a MacBook. You could just get by with a, um, an iPad and a keyboard and uh, you know, it'll do just fine, you know, in terms of uh, replicating some of the product productivity advantages of a, uh, of a Mac OS based machine. But then, of course, that might cannibalize or higher-priced um, uh, laptops which I, or, or desktops, which I'm not sure they really want to do from a business standpoint. So what's your take on that uh, that specific topic? Yeah, I mean, there's. I, I think the making it seamless, as Stuart's alluding to, and, and Hartley is making these OSs seamless so that they really do form a more of an ecosystem is, is critical, and they'll continue to do that. But, I, yeah, I don't see them cannibalizing um ipads and and you know i i see them in the classroom too at the university level at least um so i see them being used where somebody's sketching in their notes in class but when they go back to study or they're in the library out comes the laptop and then everything else so it's i think they're going to continue to encourage that kind of difference even if for content creation you know i want to use corel draw but I need a lot of power. I haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, something like that, you know, artists are still using products to generate that. But I think that the, the, the big, you know, the thing that we're not mentioning, AI, right? So if you're going to make a software announcement, that would be the software announcement to make. Um, you know, everybody has pointed out, hmm, who's missing in this AI, generative AI picture? I wonder, starts with an A, missing, in action. Um, are they going to announce something? You know, Tim yeah. has made some comments to the effect of, well, you know, you got to be careful about what you launch and stuff. So who knows? But I think that um, there are some useful places for AI where it won't be misused, I think, in healthcare research and some initial things so why not be analyzing you know that afib data off your off your watch 
using a program that can absorb a lot of data and that's an AI application. Right. Is it ready for search yet? As we've discussed, not really. <laughs> so, so, but you know, I'd be really surprised if they don't devote a section of, uh, you know, the announcements to generative AI. Because if they don't, all the analysts and investors are gonna raise bloody murder, right? No. So Rob, take us home. So my prediction, and I actually feel somewhat safe in making this, is sort of between those, <laughs> ASCII support. Apple is one of the three big companies, along with Apple, with Google and Microsoft, to say, we're going to support this. We're going to let you authenticate your, your, your online sessions, just a tap of your fingerprint on your device, no password exchanged, and the support for passkeys in macOS and in iOS is nice. It was super easy signing into Kayak that way put in a plug for the piece I did for Fast Company this morning about that. But iCloud accounts don't support that. And right now, iCloud authentication is so backwards that if you want to set up uh, the, the Gmail app on an Android phone or Outlook on Windows to use your iCloud account, you need to create an app password, which pretty much everyone else deprecated about 10 years ago. So they really need to let me use pass keys to log into my iCloud account, catch up with everybody else, and show they're serious about it. They might not. I've also predicted for the past few years that Apple will finally <laughs> grant the wishes of a lot of parents and put a kids mode into iPad OS or iOS so you can hang your device to your kid and not have them tweet as you, which might explain some of the things I've tweeted, but that's not the real reason. Uh, and, you know, in general, just see a defined set of apps. And it's so hard to do that otherwise. So you know that's my question. Prepare for it to be wrong. Rob, you know what I love about working with you is that you know, you've been asking for that feature, I think, for over, over two years. We guys have a calculator app on the iPad, too. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, gentlemen, that's all the time we have. I want to make uh, I want to thank Hartley uh, for um, calling into the podcast. and I really do appreciate that. Uh, thank you. Uh, thanks for taking the time to join me for today's podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, thanks for making the Smart Tech Check podcast part of your day or commute please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast or use these convenient on-screen QR codes to connect with me. You can also follow me on Twitter at Mark Vina Tech Guy. And until next week and the Big Monday event, have a great week. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you.